Let's open up to Acts chapter 6. We're making our way through the book of Acts this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in somewhere around you. If, if you need one, raise your hands. Someone can bring one to you. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn these responsibilities over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, focus right here. We thank you so much that uh, we see uh, the need to delegate to spiritual people. And we ask, Lord, this morning you'd speak to our hearts concerning all the things in this passage. Meet us where we are. Lord, I do not know the circumstances in everybody's heart this morning, and so you do. And so speak through your word to the hearts of your kids. And we pray if anybody doesn't know you personally this morning, Lord Jesus, that they would embrace you and they would know you as Lord and Savior and you would speak light and life into their lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, verse 1 tells us that the number of disciples was increasing. Increasing. The word uh, translated increasing in some of your Bibles, different translations. Most of you have the NIV here, but the other ones, New King James and ASB and all those other ones, it says multiplying. And I I love that word multiplying. Uh, When you see uh, in chapter 2, we've already been to chapter 2, but remember it says, And the Lord was adding daily those who'd being saved. So we have the adding, and then now in chapter 6 we have multiplying. So people are being added to the church, and they're multiplying. But what happened in between the adding and the multiplying? Subtraction. That's a bummer when things get subtracted, when things have to be pruned, when there's situations. And we read that in, in, back in chapter 5 last week that the multiplication of the disciples was happening, but there was a subtraction. Ananias and Sapphira, they were hypocrites. And one of the things that the world looks at the church and they say, hey, you know, the reason why we don't, would not even want to be involved is because of hypocrisy. People proclaiming one thing but living out another. Proclaiming one thing and living out the other. And there in the early church, the Lord looked at that situation right off the bat and he wanted to nip it in the butt and he did in a very drastic way by killing taking home two people in the church who were proclaiming to be benevolent, proclaiming to be selling their property and giving it all to the poor. In reality, they were seeking the praise of men. They'd actually held some back, but they said they had given everything. And the Lord says, this is going to stop the growth of the church. This is going to stop what I want to have. People coming to me at a purity and wholeheartedness. There can't be this dividedness in the church since the Lord makes an example of them right away in a very drastic way. And by the way, the Lord's allowed to do that. And we talked about how the Lord often, uh, well, even in taking communion, some of us are sick or, or have gone home early because we've, we've taken the body or the bread in an unworthy manner. We see other examples in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where people were given over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh for a season so that they might not be counted among those who are condemned. And so there's this seriousness that the Lord wants us to be holy people, set aside, not living duality, 
dual lives. And we know we all struggle with that. And if the rules of Acts chapter 5 are in effect today, we start singing, Lord, how I need you. And I'm, you know, I mean, how, how many of us would just go and drop dead, right? I mean, there's some hypocrisy going on in our lives. And the Lord is, by his grace, he's talking to us and encouraging us and drawing us out by his mercy and grace, right? But the ideal, what he's longing for in his children, what he's longing for in us is a purity, and when we, when we have more of the world operating in our lives and less of the Spirit, we, we are defeating the purpose for which Jesus has saved us for, to be filled with Him and to be His vessels to the world. And we fill ourselves with the world and the things that the world loves, and we begin to look at the world and how the world does everything instead of how our Father does in His kingdom. We become ineffectual, and hypocrisy takes root. And how many of you struggle with that? I struggle with that. We do, but the Lord says, you know, I want you pure. And we notice there's a connection between purity and power in the scriptures. When the church is pure, when we're set apart for the Lord, the power is released within the church. And we see that that happened, that there was this addition, but there was this thing that stopped it. There was a threat to it. And then the Lord comes in and he removes it graciously. And then what happens again? Miracles happen and there's this great flow again and people are coming to the Lord. And so Everybody listen up. The Lord's desire is to grow his church, to grow his church. That is his heart. He wants to add the whole world to his kingdom. I have no doubt about it. But it's not like we want in America. It's not about numbers and warm bodies. It's about disciples. Does that make a difference? Yes. It makes all the difference in the world. Does he love people? Yes. But he's not into lukewarm. He wants wholehearted. He wants all of us. And that is what he gave all to get. And he's constantly drawing us out of the world and drawing us out of the flesh and drawing us out and filling us with this spirit to become more like him every day. And praise God for that Christian word called sanctification. We're becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. I'm thankful for the Lord that I'm not the man I used to be. Although I see a lot more every day what God has saved me from. That picture gets bigger. Oh my gosh. How wicked was I? Am I? Oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Anybody experienced that this morning? And so God desires to grow his church, but growth meaning disciples, not warm bodies. He wants to have our hearts in his body. Uh, how, does, how do disciples grow? We grow as we feast upon Jesus Christ, as we abide in him, as we feast upon his body, as we feast upon his blood, the cross. These are idioms, right, of being in Christ. He is our sustenance. He is how we live. He is the vine. We are the branches. And that is how disciples grow. We feast upon him, the word of God, and all that he has for us is in his word. His words are spirit, and the word points us. It points us to the king. It points us to Jesus. It points us to his life. His words are spirit, and they are life. And they point us to the source of all life, Jesus Christ. And the way we came to him by grace through faith is the way that we continue in him by grace through faith. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing what? The word. By hearing and that of the word of God, the scriptures declare. Not only hearing it, but doing it, Jesus would say. Not only loving in word, but in deed, Jesus would say. I mean, John would say in First John, for all you First Johners out there. Right? 
And this, these are disciples. These are people, oh, these are disciples. People have been born again of the Spirit and therefore are following after the Spirit. And the church is comprised of disciples. And I do not see a distinction between uh, different classes of disciples. I see dis- distinction between maturity within discipleship, those who are new in Christ and who need the milk of the Word, right? And those who, by actually taking and chewing on the, on the Word, have become discerning between good and evil. The scriptures teach us. And so there's, there's the babe and then there's the mature in Christ growing up, com- being complete in Christ Jesus, and that's all done. How? As we feast upon the word which points us to Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. As we feast upon the word. That hunger and that thirst and the word is Jesus Christ. And so disciples grow by feasting upon the word and the word is linked to it's, it is Jesus. He is the Word. And so the thrust of the ministry of Jesus upon the earth was teaching about the Word. What is the Word? The kingdom of God. The gospel. The kingdom of God. How He lives. How we're to live as, as followers of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus walked, we walked. And Jesus spends His time teaching us what the kingdom is like. We live in a kingdom where we talked about it on Wednesday. What do we want to do with our enemies? Crush them. And then God says, what do you do? Love your enemies. What in the world is that? That's not how we operate. Someone slaps you across the face. We hit back. What does Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. It's a different kingdom, different principles. Roman soldier walks up to you and says, carry my bag a mile. You were were forced to do that in that day. You had to carry it a mile. What does Jesus say to do? Carry it too. But my rights, and I'm only going to do what I... God says, forgive, and you will be forgiven. For in the measure you use, it will be used towards you. Can't be right with me unless you're right with your brother, your sister. That's not how we operate. We just cut bait and run. God says, pursue that relationship, pursue that gives examples in the parables all the time. There is a parable of a person who was in an incredible amount of debt. So any of you, have you ever been in an incredible amount of debt? It's weighing, it's burdensome, it hurts. It's just something that gets over you. And then this king, this benevolent king, he has mercy upon you. He has mercy upon you, and he sees your pity. He sees you can never get out of it, and he decides to forgive you of all your debt. You're debt-free. And you're like, yeah! Well, you find out later on, there's a there's an inheritance check, and you're, you're going to cash in on this inheritance check. But part of that money is not going to come to you because one of the other relatives had borrowed something from that person and they owed a, a large amount of sum, and so you were going to be denied a portion of that inheritance. And so what do you do? You look at them and you go, man, they need to pay that back. And the lawyers are lined up, and you're figuring out how you can do that, and you just start going down that road. See how subtle it is? 
And what happened to the king is he saw that person who did that. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that. And now you go out and you're going and demanding repayment from people. Our kingdom is not his kingdom. The way mankind lives. What does the Lord say? Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Now, obviously, there's different ways in that. Uh, exceptions to the law, and he talks about that a lot. But my point is that it's just this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings freedom to men's souls. Man says, I have to earn salvation. I have to do things to be right with God. I have to pray 50 times a day. I have to sacrifice. I have to do all these things. And God says, there's nothing you can do. Your righteousness, your ability to be right with me is this filthy rags. And that's a, a very light way of saying it. It's dirty menstrual cycle rags is, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the translation to give you the, real, the reality of our righteousness before God. And even in Hebrew culture, that was multiplied because that was unclean. So God gets real personal and he creates really vivid pictures for us to understand that our ability to make ourselves right with God doesn't work. But yet that's all we preoccupy ourselves with on this planet is my righteousness, and at the end of my life, I have done enough good things to be right with God, and therefore I'm good. When the reality is, Jesus Christ, God himself, the Father, saw that we were absolutely not going to make it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he said, I know you can't make it, but I love you, and I will provide a sacrifice for your sins. One who never sinned, who did not fall short, who actually met the standard. And Jesus came, and he lived in our place, and he died in our place. And through faith in him, our sins were put upon him. We believe it. We go free. He died for us. He died in our place. And we receive by faith, grace, not deserved, forgiveness of sins. Receive his spirit in eternal life, unearned, but given freely. But man, in our heart, in our kingdom, what do we say? No, no. Because that would mean that I'm not good enough. No, you're not. No, I'm not but he is. And that is the gospel. And that is what is being preached here over and over. The word of God to man. You're not going to make it. You've fallen short. And no one likes to hear that, but that's the truth. But I love you and I have provided a way. And it's Jesus Christ. And if you reject him, he will be the judge and you will be cast into hell forever. But if you accept him, you will have eternal life. That is it. Two roads. So the thrust of the ministry of Jesus was upon the kingdom of God in this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God to man. But there are these oppositions to it in the church. Listen up, everybody. There's oppositions in the church, and you're going to experience this in your life, in our lives as Christians. They were experiencing it. And we read about it. Persecution from the outside. Remember when they had gone to the temple, they saw the man, they healed him, they lifted him up, and then, yeah, he went jumping around. Hey, praise God, he's healed, right? And then all of a sudden, the religious leaders found out about it, and what happened? They got upset, and they said, hey, you stop preaching in his name. You don't say anything about Jesus. We've talked about it in our culture. You can say anything you want about anything, but don't you dare talk about Jesus in a graduation speech or in any public place. Don't you say the name Jesus in a, in a prayer? Oh, it's separation of church and state, and 
all this stuff. And the enemy is just saying, don't you dare say anything in his name. And there's these threats that go out in our work environment, in our schools, and all these types of things. And the enemy's got us. Got us afraid of the consequences. The disciples were fearful. But what did they do? They went back and prayed. They prayed for boldness. Lord, consider their threats. And he filled them with boldness. The place shook. And then they went out and they, pre- and they preached the word more. They went right back into that public place and did it again. Praise God. And so there's these obstacles from, from the outside. That's just level one, threats. But then there's these obstacles from the inside of the church. And we see that with Ananias and Sapphira. There's hypocrisy. The opposition to the gospel can come right in these, these walls, right in, in these chairs, us. When there's this hypocrisy, when we give in to the world and we're living carnal lives and the purity is sapped and the power is sapped and God's going, okay, son or daughter, do you want to come closer, move farther away? And the closer we get to him, the more empowered it seems we are as a church. Listen, we're not saved by works. But I tell you what, we have a choice to be in the vine and grow or we have a choice to detach and wither and die. I'm talking about our walk with the Lord. And many of us feel like wither and died and powerless. And I would ask you, is there hypocrisy going on in your life? Are you living that double life? And the enemy subtly, if he can't get you from the persecution from the outside, he'll try to get you from the inside. Does that make sense? So what did they do? The Lord divinely intervened and he cut them off and the church began to grow again. But then again, the enemy, the, the, the desired effect wasn't happening. One second here. And it says, uh, and then and the last thing, sorry, they removed Ananias and Sapphira. And then the last thing, again, we had persecution on the outside again. The enemy started from the outside. He went to the inside. And he goes back to the outside. But he goes up to level two on the outside persecution. And, and not, this time, he went and they were proclaiming. They dragged him in. They jailed him. They said, hey, we told you not to preach in his name again. They threatened him again, right? And they said, who do we obey? You or God? And they got mad. A guy talked to him, convinced him not to kill him. But the next thing that happened was what? They were beaten. They were verbally threatened, and they physically were threatened. And they experienced physical persecution. Did that stop them? No, they went out. And it says, then they went and preached day to day to day to day in the house. Every day in the house. House to house to house. And then they went where? in the middle of the temple, where the most public place was. And they preached the gospel. And it said the word of God spread. Do you see this thing? Persecution, if they were to given into it, the word of God wouldn't have spread, but they gave the spread. Something going on within the church was not overcome. It wouldn't have spread, but they did overcome it. The Lord brought deliverance. And then the word of God spread. People were added to the church. It multiplied. Now again, persecution on the outside. The whole theme of this book is about the gospel going forward. And I have to ask the church, is that the theme of our lives? Because the enemy is so subtle, he can come in and just stop it in your lives, from the outside, from the inside, whatever it might be. And he'll do it in different ways, in different forms. He knows us. So what is stopping it? So while there's this tendency to look at the miracles and all the things that are going on in Acts, the real line through the whole thing is that God is desiring to use the church 
to save the lost, to save the lost, to bring them into the fold. That is God's love to mankind. That is God's love. Not as the world loves, but as God loves. For God so loved, he gave his son to die so that people might live. What does that mean? That they have to deny themselves, pick up their cross, follow Jesus. And as the result of this gospel that was being preached, the church was multiplying. It was happening. And now we read during uh, this time of multiplication, the church is growing, and so there's some problems. It says, the Hellenistic Jews, chapter, we're finally there, <laughs> verse 1, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, if you remember, people like Barnabas, son of encouragement, right? They would sell their property and they would give it, lay it at the hands of the apostles, the, the proceeds, so that the ministry of the word would go forward, so that people's provisions would be taken care of. And this was a natural outflowing of love. If you saw a person in need and you don't do anything about it, the love of Christ is not in you. Well, people who could do something about it did. And they took care of things within the church. And this was one of those ways, food, for, food, I'm sorry, food distribution. We have a, a crazy uh, system in our, in our society right now, but uh, back then they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. If you were ostracized from your family, you died. If you didn't have a job, you died. And these people were leaving Judaism. They were cut off from their family. And what happened? They had to be taken care of somehow. And so it was the church who took care of each other. And I believe that's how it should be. I don't think the first thing we should do is run to the government. I think we should run to our family, A, the church, and B, our physical families, you know. I think that's where it needs to get back to. But the, the thing about that is we're going to be talking about each other about some tough love. And who wants to have that experience, right? And so I would encourage you to seek the Lord on that matter. But Barnabas and these people were giving, and there's this practical giving for the widows, and, and I would say the orphans too. And there's these widows in the church. But there was a problem with this distribution, there was actually two problems. And the first was there was, there was prejudice going on in between the believers. Could you believe that? In the church, there's prejudice going on? Could you believe that? I mean, dude. I mean, that never happens in the church. Nothing like that ever happens. See, the Hellenists, what that word means is it means they had Jewish influence. They were both groups were, the Hellenists and the Hebraics, they were both Jews, okay? But one had an influence by the Greeks. Remember Alexander the Great, 300 years before Christ came through and conquered everything? And when he conquered everything, guess what came with him? He was Greek. The language came as well. And so the world was influenced by Greek. If you were a trader or anything like that, you spoke, not like a trader of your country, but if you were a merchant, you spoke Greek, correct? And so there was a great population of Jews who were not from the area of Israel that might have migrated back that spoke Greek. And they had this, but they were Jews. They had this influence, but the Hebraics, you see, they were the, the purebloods. They were natural. They were untainted by the pagan Californians who were migrating in. You see what I'm saying? And all the Californians said, okay, you guys can get them. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We don't realize it's there, but it's there. And I, don't, I think this, some, of this, some of the time we don't even realize what's going on, but we can go, oh, they're from a Baptist background, or oh, they're from, 
this background, therefore, and you've already come to all these conclusions about who they are and what they're about and what they've done when we just need to get to know them, you know? Or culturally, because someone has different skin or come from a different country. And what we don't realize is in the church, they've been bought with the same blood by a Jew, by the way, Jesus Christ, not an American. Did anybody know that? We don't follow an American. We follow actually a Jew. Anybody? A little Jewish guy a long time ago probably was not that good looking. Probably was a little overweight. Accused of being a what? Wine bibber, a glutton. Carpenter, just a blue collar guy. Yeah, that's our Savior. We look at him and there's nothing that you would see on the outside that would be neat about him, Isaiah said. He's not this English guy with this sharp jaw and this flowing hair and the blue eyes. And no, he was like a, he was like one of those guys you see on, you know, on your news channel running around there in the streets in the Middle East. Praise God. <laughs> I love that about our Lord. He was different. But we joke about it and we think, Think about it, you know, that prejudice doesn't happen in Christian circles, but it, it does. You know, we can talk about denominations or, or backgrounds or all this type of stuff. I remember I was in the Philippines, you know, just how easily, you don't even realize you're an American. Um, I'm sitting in a hallway in the Philippines and, and it's really hot. You got it's just like, it's like the South. Anybody been to the deep South? 100 degrees, 97% humidity. You're basically under hot water or whatever it is. It's just miserable sitting in this hallway in this hotel room and this lady walks by me and, she, and she's, and I'm sitting there and she goes you know how are you feeling about that one? if I walk by you and go I'm just like what in the world are you doing lady? and I get indignant upset in my heart and then I realize back to my training this has got to be cultural this has got to be cultural. And then I asked one, oh, that's their polite way of saying pardon me. You know, and they call people like this. <laughs> How you like that? What's that to us, right? And so there's these things that pop up. We don't even realize Jewish Hebrew culture that are going on, and there's these things going on. And instead of talking to each other about what things mean, they just assume and they clash. And it's sad. But people's, you know, these things subtly creep into the church. <laughs> Sadly, we saw it with Peter. Remember Peter? Paul had to rebuke him in Galatians chapter 2. What was he doing? And I know this is an issue of going, of going back to the law, but he had been told by the Lord he could, you know, he was free to eat with the Gentiles and he was hanging out with the Gentiles and all of a sudden some Jewish guys showed up from back at headquarters and he decided to kind of go hang out with the Jewish guys, and he wouldn't eat the same food they ate anymore, and there was just this thing. And Paul gets there, and he goes in front of everybody, hey, what Peter's doing? Peter, knock it off. And he starts in front of everybody. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter. I mean, this is like, Peter was wrong. But these things creep into the church, this prejudice. And we need to look at everything we do and the situations we come through through the Word of God and, and as, as best we can recognize that we have culture, but it's the Word of God that we need to look, look, look towards. When I was in the Philippines, 
people would stop what they were doing no matter what they were doing and they'd give you their best and they'd give their, their full attention. It's relational. When I am in America, I go over to your house, you're working on something, it's perfectly acceptable for you to continue working on what you're working on and us getting along because we're a task-oriented society. That is what we value more. It is relationship that is biblical, not task. That's hard for us. Anyone? So there's these things going on within the church. And so... Uh, the second problem that was going on was complaining. One side was being project, uh, prejudiced, but the other side, what were they doing? They were complaining. Now, normally it'd be okay if that was like, hey, we have a complaint. But the, uh, the word here for complaint is murmur. Murmur. Can everybody say murmur? Murmur's not good. That's what got the Jews hanging out in the wilderness for a long time, not entering. They were complaining. They were, had unbelief. And the idea of behind murmuring is complaining a secret complaint. The idea is you really don't want to do anything about it. You just want to vent. Anybody ever experienced that? As a pastor, I know I experience it from time to time, just to let you know. Not in this church, but I mean, I have in the past. People will be upset with something. They'll come up to you and they'll say, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, I'm, and then you'll go around and you'll say, well, this is what the Word says. This is what you're to do. They're like, no. No, you're supposed to go do it. See ya. They don't really want to do what the Lord has. They're not coming to seek. They just want to complain. They just want to complain. And that happens. And it happens in the church. And it can come out different ways. I mean, I was thinking the church can become murmur-filled when there's things that get changed. You know, if I were to move this pulpit, not have this pulpit anymore, what would happen? You know, oh my gosh, you know, there'd be the secret revolt. You know, I'm just saying, I know. I like it, though, because it's thick and it would protect me from your bullets, you know? Uh, (laughs) You know, when changes are made and, and a segment feels left out, like these Hellenistic, you know, there can be this grumbling and that's okay to have those feelings, but how we express them and how we talk about them is important. We want to be biblical. We want to go to the person we have trouble with and, and speak to them, don't we? That's what the Lord does with us. He goes right to us. But there can be this back chatter, or even in more subtle, very spiritual ways. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for Pastor Matt. We love him, and we're thankful he's here. And Lord, help him with his sermon time that it will be shortened up by at least 25 minutes. And Lord, <laughs> we pray that he'd stop quenching the spirit and would move along quicker in Acts because I'm a task-oriented person. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, or even what I was just doing to you. You know what I'm saying? It's so subtle, isn't it? And we have to watch ourselves about how we approach these things. That's what's going on in the church here. There's two things. There's two sides of it. And there was this murmuring. And so just as prejudice is not good, neither is complaining in this way. And so what happens? How's the Lord going to work? And he works through the leadership in the church. And I love how, how the Lord does this. It says in verse 2, boy, we're getting very far today, aren't we? So the 12, how can you get that much out of that? I don't know. I'm probably going to have to give an account for that one. But verse 2 says, So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. And I know this how this comes across, but bear with me. I love this. The apostles had their priorities straight. 
The apostles have their priorities straight. These were the leaders of the church. These were the chief servants of the church. And how were they commissioned to serve? By the word of God. And that was their priority. The priority of their ministry was the word of God. And again, uh, this was the main thrust of the books of, book of Acts. And remember the pattern of things from the, outs, the, the uh, opposition from the outside and from the inside. The enemy is trying to stop this. And this is the main thing. We see this subtle spiritual attack happening to stop this. And now we go back. We had outside. We had inside. We had outside. Now where are we again? Back inside the church. The grumbling, complaining. And what is the grumbling and complaining? You know, it's not evident on the surface. But I believe the enemy is working underneath to do what? To take the attention off of what? The word of God again. Get the people who are in the word, who are praying for the church, who are doing the things that causes the church to grow and for people to grow up in the Lord, to get them off of that and onto all these other things. Not that they're not important to address. Not that waiting on tables was beneath them. It was not. These guys were servants among servants. Jesus taught them to wash each other's feet. They were servants. And most likely, they each had a hand in this somehow. And they had to delegate it out. But they said it would not be right. This is not what the Lord has called us to be preoccupied with. And for leaders in the church, it is important to note that this is one of the enemy's main tactics for us. It's to take us away from the ministry of the word of God. It sounds pious, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound pious a little bit like, oh, I can't go clean something, I can't do anything? That's not it. You, you know the guys on, on those board. If anything, we struggle with not being in the Word, not, not helping things out, right? I'm out there doing tables. We all, we all know that. It's the other thing we struggle with, and it happens just like this. Discord, division, uh, complaints arise in the body and it's my tendency and it's the elders' tendency to just leave the priority of seeking God, being in the word, you know, and just to go run and go after each of these things every day and try to fix them. And it doesn't take long to realize that there's an endless stream of these things. Right? We're all sheep. And there's an endless stream. And some people, I'm sorry, the enemy just has you lined up one after the other. People who are carnal and they're just living after the world. And he goes, okay, next. Okay, next. Okay, next. And it's a sad situation. And, and until we do what the 12 do, did, you know, it's not right for us to leave this priority that the Lord has given us, the ministry of the word, tending to the spiritual needs of the church to go fix this and that. It's not beneath them, but when leaders are diverted from the role that the Lord has called them to, two things happen. When the leaders of the church are diverted from the role that the God's called them to, two things happen that, I, that I've noticed. First, someone who is actually called and gifted to minister in that capacity is not being utilized. They're being robbed of their blessing to the church. They're being robbed of their blessing to the church. And secondly, what the church truly needs, they're being deprived of. The word of God, the milk for the new believer, the meat for the mature Christian. You know, Jesus, when he's talking to Peter, what did he say? 
Say, do you love me? Yeah. Go tend my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Go tend my sheep. My feet. How, what does that mean? It means you give them the word. You're constantly, in all the areas of their lives, you're pointing them to the Lord through the word of God, through conversations. Through, you see things. You're practically helping them out and all that type of stuff. But it's all about pointing them to the Lord. And this goes on constantly in our fellowship and how we need to pray for the elders, church. And it would be great. You know what the most encouraging thing is? Is to, for me not to manipulate you into it, but all of a sudden you guys just get together and you just start praying for us. And say, so, you know what? We're going to devote ourselves to go pray for the elders. We're going to devote ourselves to go pray for them and their families. We're going to devote ourselves to just pray for them, that they would be doing. And then what happens is God begins to work in your heart and you see what things we're doing. And then you approach us and go, hey, let go of that. And we go, no. And then you go, yeah. And we go, yeah, okay. It needs to happen more and more so that you continue to operate in the gifts that you're gifted with. And I continue to operate in the gifts that I'm gifted with. You guys know I'll go out there and I'll get in trouble by doing things I shouldn't be doing, right? Bumping into other ministries and all that stuff. But the elders need to be elding, not deking. Amen? <laughs> you can walk up to him and say, hey, you need to stop deacon. <laughs> Start elding, right? You know, but the apostles knew their calling and they called the disciples. Not church goers, they called the disciples together and this was probably the 120. And they did something wise. Verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who you know, uh, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles saw the need for organization and they laid out some guidelines. Notice they laid out the guidelines. They had the shots. They, they said, this is what needs to happen. And they gave it to him and they let him do it. And they said, come back and we'll put the stamp of approval on it. And he's, these were the guidelines for this distribute, the oversight of the distribution of bread in the church. Okay. Choose seven men from among you. In other words, they were to be men in this instance. I believe there's a cultural situation in Middle East culture. You've got to really know it to realize the male situation in there. Choose seven men from among you. And they were to be filled. I'm sorry, they were to be from among the brethren. Who were they talking to? They were talking to disciples. They were to be among the disciples. They weren't to go out and hire help. Unsafe people to come play on the worship team. And all this other junk. They were to be disciples from among them. And secondly, they were to be great with people, could set a mean table, had a background in food service, their, car, their food handler's card was up to date. These things had to be a priority. Is that really what they said? What, what was the main priority of who they were to be? Men who were known to be among you. They were tested and tried. They were, it was not just a, 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 a someone that they had run into. They were known to be among you who had full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Two important things for being a deacon in a church, for being in charge of a ministry in a church, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Why is that important in closing? We're not going to get very much farther. Why not find a person who just knew their stuff? who could manage well, could all those things. Why, why is it important that, they, that that was the priority they put up on these things? It's because this 
is a spiritual ministry. This is not a secular job. This is the church of God. There was prejudice going on. There was complaining. And at the root of it was the purpose of taking the focus off the ministry of God, the thing that would cause the church to grow. Do you realize there's a spiritual war going on with buildings and grounds, with the pulpit ministry, with the nursery, with the youth ministry, with the women's ministry, the men's ministry? Do you realize there's a spiritual war going on? And it doesn't take people who are gifted and talented to organize and do things. It needs men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God and wisdom primarily. Primarily. That is the number one deal going on. What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Check out the message from, on the Holy Spirit. I went over it for three or four weeks a couple of months ago. But it means in general they aren't calling the shots in their lives God is. They are men and women of the word. That is what we're looking for. Men and women of the word who, who know the Lord, who are submitted to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is leading them. And secondly, they are to be full of wisdom, specifically the wisdom of God, not just knowing the scriptures, brothers and sisters, not just knowing them, but to know how to apply them in everyday life and circumstances. Not just knowing the word, but applying it in everyday life and circumstances. To look at prejudice that's going on there and look at it from a scriptural perspective to see it through scripture and to see how God dealt with it and to know how to apply what God would have to do, the correction, the exhortation, the solution through that lens, through the lens of scripture, not through common sense, not through anything else. What does scripture say about this? And we're bringing kingdom solutions because it's a spirit, this is the church. to look past the complaints and go to the root of it and apply God's principles to it, not man's. And how quickly we are to put man's principles in God's church and it just does not, they do not comply. They had to be disciples full of the spirit and wisdom to oversee the ministry of distributing the, the bread to the widows. It isn't about getting hungry people food. There's a spiritual element to all we do here. It was about the gospel going forward, and the enemy would attack, as we have been reading about, as he would, and he will attack from the outside and the inside. And when you serve in church, you will be attacked, by the way, and the enemy will be searching for your weakness. And if he can't get you from the outside, he'll get you from the inside. And if he can't get you from the inside, he'll start persecuting you physically. And if you can't do that, he'll go on and start causing discord and just pulling you all over the place. You need to have the discernment and the, and the, and the understanding from Scripture and the Spirit to be able to persevere through that and to guide. This is why not just anyone can get up here and just start singing songs. It's not America has talent or whatever the heck it is. Talent does not equal worship. It helps us to focus, right? But that is not the primary thing. What's going on with the heart? What's going on with the heart? Before you can lead worship, are you a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? You know, this is just an example because I've had this background. Are you, are you filled with the Spirit? Do you have wisdom? Because they aren't just songs, brothers and sisters. Listen, there are arrows barraging the enemy when we open our mouths. There are prayers going up before our holy God. There are hearts declaring the glory of God before angels and before demons that are present in this room. For principalities before our enemy and before our God. There's a battle for your adoration. Every time we gather, there's a battle for your adoration. 
There's a battle for your participation every, every Sunday morning. Every time we gather. And so does the person leading you have the spirit? Do they have wisdom? Are they called and they gifted? Not just can they sing a song. See, the songs are secondary. We place so much weight upon talent and skill in our culture and we need to put it in its proper place for leading ministries in our church. And so the apostles said, hey, these are the pranders. Seven guys, they have to be disciples, known to be full of spirit and wisdom. And we will delegate this responsibility to them. And it says in verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit. And the reason why they emphasize him there is because we're going to have a whole chapter on next time and it is amazing. This guy who's chosen to do the bread ministry is amazing. Read the next chapter on your own. Have fun. But anyways, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, uh, uh, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nicholas uh, from Antioch, a, a convert to Judaism. And by the way, all these names are Greek. <laughs> the apostles, they give it back to the people. And the people, they all hang out and they pray and they seek the Lord. They're not, it's not a committee. They're disciples. They're all seeking the Lord. And they found the heart of the Lord and they brought it back to the apostles and say, these are the guys. And they were all Hellenists. What grace. We'll just go ahead and turn the other cheek. We'll give all. We'll surrender our rights so that others might be glorified. Whoa, isn't that neat? Oh, we got to do 50-50 to make everybody happy. How about we just deny ourselves and bless the others? Wow. Wow pretty neat stuff. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Lord, we ask that you would give us the same heart. I know this is uh, this is a lot, but Father, the enemy is, he's, a, he's around. And I believe he is squelched your gospel in this valley many many places and Lord it's coming from the outside it's coming from the inside it's coming all over the place and how we need for you to rescue us and to encourage us once again and remind us of whose son and whose daughter we are and the calling you've placed upon our lives to be salt and light so would you empower your church this week to have discernment that we would be men and women of the word, be your disciples, that we would grow and we would feast upon what you say and who you are, and that you would make us effectual servants every day. And I thank you so much that you are doing that work in and through our church. But we ask for more. And where we're compromised, Lord, would you come and rescue us? Would you revive our hearts? Would you convince us of the error of our ways and cause us to respond to your grace once again. Help us to surrender and ask us to, and Lord, we ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit this week. So Lord, bring people to Christ through this this week. And if you're one of those people this morning who's never given your life to the Lord, I always 
want to invite people to receive the Lord. Surrender today. Bug someone next to you and say, I need Jesus. I've been on the wrong path. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would go out this week in the fullness and the joy of the Lord. Amen.